Good evening, everybody, and we're glad that you're here tonight uh, with Spirit of Grace Church. I'm glad to be able to come to you and share with you just kind of the word of the Lord tonight. I, I'm going to speak on something that um, uh, I spoke on actually last week at the Lost Sheep of Minnesota um, intensive that they do, and uh, I, it's just been echoing in my spirit all week. And so I want to share that with you. So I'm going to just be kind of walking through Psalm 23 and bringing out some points. And, and uh, this isn't the first time I've ever taught on this, but there's been some depths to this passage that has just uh, really hit home with me, even after I you know, have, have ministered last week. It's just something that I can't get away from. So I feel felt like God wanted me to share this with you tonight, and, and God is doing some amazing things. We're experiencing miracles of healing, and uh, God is answering prayer, and we're just honored to be a part of the kingdom of God, and we're very thankful that uh, you have joined us here online, whether it be from our local church or for you that join us all around the country and even around the world. We're so grateful that we have this opportunity to just share the word of the Lord with you. So I'm going to read from Psalm 23. I'm going to read the entire Psalm, and then we'll go back and break some things down that I believe make this such a powerful Psalm. And uh, it, it's, it's a Psalm of David, starting at Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This uh, psalm is often used for different occasions, different reasons, but what I felt last week in, in sharing this, I realized that this really is um, a powerful spiritual warfare psalm, if you want to put it that way. The Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are powerful to the pulling down of strongholds. And strongholds mainly make their place and build their strength in our minds. And so this psalm gives us a perspective that can then lead our thinking into becoming more powerful, if, if that makes sense. And so I just, there's some things in here that just were mind-blowing to me um, over the years that I have read this and obviously memorized it. And we quote it quite often at funerals and, and sometimes weddings and sometimes special services. And uh, I just, I, I'm, I'm encouraged tonight by the presence of God because of this psalm. I want you to notice then in in the first verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's something interesting here that David, I don't know how much he understood or didn't understand, but when he wrote, what's really powerful here 
is that um, he, he's really going against everything that uh, the, the Jewish culture believed about God in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they believed that God was really a distant being. You, you, they, they, they revered him so much they didn't use vowels in, in his name. They, they, uh, uh, they, they did not have a personal relationship with him. They did not. It was all done through the structure of the tabernacle and sacrifices and the priesthood. But this very first statement here, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. That Now, the word Lord there is all capitals, which lets us know that the writer is talking about the personal name of God, the creator of the universe, the one that they held to a certain extent at, at a distance is my shepherd. That those two concepts are almost opposite of one another uh, in the in the mind of the Old Testament uh, believer, the Lord God Almighty, He was He was distant. He was not tangible. He was not touchable. You could not be in His presence. Moses tried to see His glory, and God said, "There's no way you're going to have to." Uh, he's going to He cleft out a rock and put him inside of it. Let him just see the hinder part of His glory and. And the reason is because that glory would have consumed him. But now David is saying that God, that Lord is my shepherd. A shepherd is not a CEO. A shepherd is not distant from the people that are under him. A shepherd was very hands-on. A shepherd was one that was around the sheep almost all the time. The shepherd was the one that cared for them on a very personal level and took care of all of the all of the stuff that would get in their their their, their fur would get into the wool and get into the animals' uh, hand, uh, feet and in in the mouth and ears and and he would take care of cleaning them and cleansing them and making them whole. He would wrap them up when they were injured. He would protect them when they were threatened. This was a hand, a shepherd was a hands-on individual that didn't, didn't walk away, didn't wander away from their sheep really at all very often. And so here we're seeing this picture that David is declaring that the great God of the universe, the creator of all time, was very personal in David's life. And again, I don't know how much David understood that. I don't know how much he he he. he was able to uh, put two and two together. I don't know how entrenched he was in the concept of Jewish thought, but whether he's accidentally saying it or he saw an insight from God that was a little different than the norm, he is identifying that the great God of all the universe is a very personal God. And that means a lot today, that the great God of the universe is very personal. He's, he knows your life. He knows what you need. He knows what to do to sustain you. He knows what to do to take care of you. That's the kind of God that we serve. He is our shepherd. Praise God. And then it says that we shall not want. Obviously, because uh, all of creation is God's, he has access to all of it. He knows exactly what you need. He doesn't say uh, that word want there isn't a desire. That word want is a need. And, and so sometimes God doesn't give us what we want, but he'll always give us what we need because he understands that sometimes what we want is not healthy 
to what we actually need and what makes us stronger and better uh, is not always what we want because we, the Bible says our heart is deceitfully wicked above all things and no man can know it. Only God knows your heart. And so oftentimes I believe that God keeps our wants in order to make sure that everything that we need is taken care of. Praise God. Verse number two uh, starts a, I understand David is talking in poetic verse, but when you get some of the meanings behind these words and you can apply it to your life, it, it's very, very, very powerful. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. I want you to notice in verse 2 and 3 especially, it's all originating from the shepherd. In other words, he doesn't command you to lay down. He makes you lie down. He does the work. He gets you to a place where you can find rest. And uh, he makes me to lie down in, in, in green pastures. That word green there is not simply the color. That word green in Hebrew is uh, tender. It means new. Uh, it's like an upshoot of, of a flower. And, and so what the psalmist is saying is, I find my rest. He, he gives me rest. He makes me to rest in new fields, new pastures, new areas. And, and can I just tell somebody today that that God is wanting to um, God is wanting to minister to you in a new way and give you peace and rest in a new field or a new pasture. Uh, that could be a spiritual dimension that God has for you. It could be a new job. It could be uh, it could be a new friend that comes into your life that gives you rest. It could be a new opportunity to grow in the Lord. It may be a new revelation of his word. It, it, all kinds of things. God wants to do things new every day in our lives. And when God does it, he always attaches rest to it. I can find rest in the new things that God has for us, has for me personally, and you as an individual as well. And so I'm thankful for that. He leads me beside still waters. And that word waters there um, ha has a little bit more than, you know, we're in Minnesota here, the land of 10,000 lakes. It's more than a lake. It has to do with running water. It, it has to do with uh, kind of more of a river type mindset, a flow, a current. And if you ever are around a, a river, you'll find that... Um, as you're watching, the river is always moving, but that river, that water can be quiet, if you will, or still um, in the midst of it. But when you get to a place where it, what you know is the rapids, the rapids happen because of two things. The rapids happen because obstacles get in the way of the flow of the water, or the banks of the river get so constrictive that the flow and the power of the water causes it to become a rapid. And, and I believe that some, the, he leads me beside still waters, lets me know this, that uh, he, and this word lead here doesn't mean to walk before or take by the hand and show or transport. This word lead means to guide to rest. And, and, and he leads me beside still waters. Our lives are always flowing. Our lives from the day we, were conceived have continually been a progression 
and, and has not stopped. There's always the next thing. It's always moving forward just like a river. And there's been times in our lives where, if you will, circumstances of life begin to squeeze you and you feel the pressure and you feel the, the stress of the situation and life seems to speed way up and your, your life becomes the rapids. And then, but what the Bible is saying is he's going to guide us to the rest. Even though there's rapids, he's going to find us the still waters. And um, obstacles, there's all kinds of obstacles that have been in our lives that have caused our life to, to flow and, and, to, and to become one of those dangerous rapids. And it, it almost is overwhelming and fearful. But the psalmist is saying that he guides us into still waters or into a rest beside still waters. And so the picture that the psalmist is writing, David's trying to tell us that even when your life is flowing, even when life is going by, sometimes at an astronomical speed, that that he has the ability and does often do uh, by leading us or, or guiding us. Again, there's a the word in verse 3 is different than the word in verse 2 in the Hebrew. The word in verse 2 leads has more to do with a hand-on creation of the principle of the still water, if you will. Uh, it, it makes you to rest. It makes you to, it makes you to uh, be peaceful. It makes you, in the midst of the currents, your peace will be standing there. He restores my soul. I find this interesting in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, and, and if you've been to the church, you've heard me talk about this, Paul identifies that we are made up of spirit, soul, and body. And oftentimes you don't hear it stated that way when somebody tells you, you know, how are we made or what are we made of or who we are, they'll say, well, we're body, soul, and spirit. And I, I believe that God has words in order in Scripture, and I believe it was a tool of the enemy to make it so easy to roll off our tongue and became the statement, well, we're body, soul, and spirit. Um, and, and, and I'll tell you why I believe that here in just a second. I believe that it was a tool that twisted the words of the Lord through the, through the Apostle Paul as he's writing to, to the Thessalonians. And he says, I want you to be whole in spirit and soul and body, not body, soul, spirit. Uh, and, and notice that just the switch, uh, we talk of, and most people say, well, we're body, soul, and spirit, but the Bible says we're spirit, soul, and body. Here's the difference. Here, here's why I think, um, we misunderstand that is when you say body, soul, and spirit, that progression means the natural affects the way we, our soul is the seat of our will, our emotions, our mind, the way we construct ourselves. And then the spirit is the life-giving force. So what ends up happening is if we concentrate on the body first, that natural flesh, what ends up happening is whatever is going on in the flesh will dictate to you what's going on in your soul. And then your mindset in your soul will dictate where your life is at. You're the life force, if you will, in you, which is your spirit. And I believe what Paul is telling the Thessalonians, I pray that your spirit, soul, and body. In other words, if you can get your life force, which obviously the spirit is the spirit of the Lord, and the spirit that's in you, if that spirit, that life, that thing that gives you life, 
can be correct with God and, and anointed with the Lord's Spirit, then your soul begins to see things different, respond to things different, and then your body or your flesh is in its proper place and you are a whole person in the Lord. Having said that, going back now to, to this psalm, when it says he restores my soul, I, I find that interesting. Well, Paul said in Romans 12 that be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our mind is the biggest battlefield that we uh, operate in. And, and there is a, a battle that's going on for the way that you think because the way you think will dictate who you are, what you are, where you're going, how you're doing it, because everything begins with a thought. And, and, and so to restore the soul, the way that God does that is, first of all, to restore the spirit. And, and what he's talking about here is the restoration of the way you think, the way you feel. Okay, That can't happen through the body. That has to happen through the spirit. God's the only one that can infuse that into us. Our flesh will never do it. Because our flesh is contingent upon exterior circumstances, but our spirit is always connected to the things of God if we're a believer in him. And he touches our spirit, our life, and he brings that life focus in and that restores our soul to proper perspective and proper thinking. And it's, for instance, it's easy to understand not to get worried about things when your perspective identifies and recognizes that God is totally in control. And if God is totally in control, that means whatever happens is his will and, and his will is always greater than our will. So all of a sudden, we're not wrestling as much with our flesh because we are restored in our soul through the spirit of God. He leads me in paths of righteousness. That word leads here does mean he guides. He, he is a tour guide, if you will. He is the one that first of all goes before you. Uh, he's the one that takes you by the hand. He's that shepherd that takes you personally down the path that you're supposed to go, and it's the right path. It, it, he, he leads you in the paths of righteousness or right things, if you will, and, and uh, for his name's sake. Uh, the right path is not always the easiest path. I want you to think about Jesus in his time on this earth. That path as glorious as Calvary is, that path was not an easy path. And oftentimes the path that God has for us isn't the easiest path, but if he's leading us there for the right reasons for his name's sake, I can lean on him and trust in him because there's nobody more powerful, nobody more wise. His thoughts are above our thoughts. His ways are above our ways. And, and so I can take confidence in the fact that he leads us in the right path for his name's sake. Verse number four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. This is an interesting quote, if you will. Um, the valley of the shadow of death is a, another way of saying that is it's a valley of deep shadow, of deep darkness. But I want you to notice something about this. Yea, though I walk through the valley, a valley is a ditch, it's a rut, it's a, it's a cut out from, from the, the landscape, if you will. And, and you're walking there, and the Bible says the valley of the shadow of death. It's just a shadow. 
I'll, I'll tell you what happens. Uh, uh, death has no power over us anymore. Jesus has all the power. So what is this talking about for us today? Maybe not for David in that day, but for us today, what is this telling us? It's telling us this, that the valleys that we walk in and the shadows that we see is simply something in that momentary time that's blocking out the light of his glory. But here's the deal. I will have no fear of the evil. I, I, I won't be able to fear it uh, because here's what I have to understand is that if there's a shadow, there's a light on the other side of the shadow. Shadows have no power. Shadows have no authority. The shadow of death cannot win over who I am, what I am, where I'm going, because the shadow is simply an obstacle that is blocking out the light on the other side. But if the light begins to shine through the shadow, here, here's what I know. If there is shadows in my life, it means that there's light in my life. And if there's light in my life, the Bible says that he is the light. That means that wherever I go, I, I can get excited about shadows instead of fear. Because if, if there's shadows in my life, if there's places of darkness in my life, it's because the light is trying to shine into it and the obstacle that's there is causing a shadow. The obstacle cannot cause us any difficulties or problems. It cannot destroy us. The shadow is letting us know that the light is right there with us. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Why? Because I know you're with me. There's light. Whenever there's a shadow, there's always light on the other side of the shadow. I hope you get the sense of that. Does it mean that we're not going to go through dark times? No, we're going to go through dark times. There's going to be some hard times. There's going to be difficulties that we have to face. But when you face those difficulties and those hard times, those are shadows because of the obstacle or the situation, the circumstance is trying to put itself in front of the light. But because the adversary can only do things uh, to a certain extent, he can't control everything. All he can do is throw things that cause shadows. But when he throws things that cause shadows, you have to recognize, and I have to recognize, is if there's a shadow, that means there's a light on the other side of the obstacle, on the other side of the circumstance, trying to shed a ray of hope into our lives. So I get excited now when there are those seasons where it seems to be dark, where there seems to be obstacles that are overwhelming because all I know is this, if they're there, if that's there, that means the, the light of God is trying to get through to speak something new into me. I hope that makes sense to you, but it excites me when I understand that all of the darkness of this world can't do anything other than try to block the light. But if there's a shadow, just know that the light's on the other side. And the Bible says that the darkness cannot comprehend the light. It can't take over. It can't win out. The light will always come through. Praise God. I will remember for you are with me. I just talked about that. You know that he's there if there are shadows. But then notice here, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, a rod was kind of a club. And, and, and I shared last week, it kind of reminded me of Fred Flintstone and, and what he walked around with. And and. and the shepherd used that for a couple of reasons. Uh, he used that mostly for protection from uh, animals that would attack the sheep as prey. And uh, I want you to notice that it's God's rod that's with you. 
It's not yours. It's not fashioned after what you think you need. God's rod is there, and he's using it to protect you. And so all of the things that the enemies throw your way, you can be confident in the fact that he has his rod right there because he's with you. He's ready to to wipe out your enemy. He's ready to block them. He's ready to fight with them. He's ready to to do battle on your behalf. It's not something that you have to fight with when you're hand in hand with the shepherd. And the other piece of equipment is the staff. Now, the staff was used for two things. It was used for protection. It was used for direction or correction, if I should say it even better, discipline, if you will. Uh, He would take that. That's the old, the staff is the is the piece of equipment that the shepherds would use that we picture most often, which is the, it's got the little shepherd's hook on it. And and that was used to go and pull aside uh, sheep that would start wandering and he would grab their necks and kind of pull them back into the fold. But then also in the the areas where the sheep were, there were oftentimes thorn uh, bushes and things that would get into the the wool of the, the sheep. And so he would hook that staff around the, the bushes and hold it back while the staff, by, while the sheep walked by or walked through uh, the grove, if you will. And so that excites me to know that, that God is, number one, worried about our discipline, worried about making us be the best we can be, keeping us close to the flock, keeping us close to where the shepherd is, but then also pulling things that would snag at us that would try to destroy us, that would try to hold us back. He grabs that with his staff and he pulls it aside so we can walk on through into the next thing that he has. So that's why uh, they comfort me. I'm comforted by the fact that in one hand, God's got a club ready to beat everything the enemy sends us his way. And in the other, he is is his tenderness where he pulls back the brush. He, He pulls me back into the fold. He keeps me in the, the right way and in the right perspective. That's a loving shepherd, in my opinion. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That, that word prepare a table before me, he's, he's making a feast. And it's not a feast to separate you from everything else. He puts you right in front of your enemies. Now, listen, here, here's what the problem for most of us is is we get around this table in the presence of our enemies and we become fearful instead of just eating the feast that God has for us. You you don't need to be fearful. He wants those that have come against you to understand that he's in control and that he can be something to them that he's already to you. And so you are an example or a reflection of what he's doing in your life to somebody else. So he's going to He's going to put you right there where your enemies are. But then he goes on to say this, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. That word anoint means to make fat or to make heavy. Okay. And the oil is almost always indicative or symbolic in the scripture of his spirit. He makes heavy on top of your head with his presence, with his spirit. I want you to think about that. He, he anoints my head. My head is my mind. It's where I think. It's also the, the, the beginning point from top to bottom of my being. And he makes it heavy. And, to, and the picture is 
you know, in the in today when we anoint somebody with oil, we'll put some on our finger and we'll we'll put it on their forehead and then we'll lay hands on. But in in biblical days, they would take a whole vat of uh, oil and they would begin to pour it completely over uh, their heads and it would soak their body. And what he's saying is, my presence is my my oil, my spirit is going to be so uh, heavy in your life that it's going to cover you from the top of your head to the sole of your feet, which obviously means that your cup's going to overflow. It, the, that, 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 that is the reciprocation or the response of receiving all of the heaviness or the making fat, if you will, of the presence of God the enlarging of your territory through the Spirit of the Lord will automatically begin to overflow. And then we're coming to this last verse, and, and I love this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This, this verse is, is just full of power. First of all, goodness and, and, and mercy is an amazing um Deal could be steadfast love, some versions use, but his goodness and his mercy follow me. That word follow isn't like following a leader, it isn't going wherever I go. What it is that that word follow has more to do with pursuing or chasing than it does with just following. And, and so, what this scripture is really saying is that his goodness and mercy are going to chase me. For the rest of my life. I want you to catch that. His mercy, his goodness, his steadfast love, if you will, is chasing us for the rest of our lives. It's after us. I, my prayer is that we would just slow down long enough to let it catch up to us, help it to envelop us and consume us, but it's chasing us. It's pursuing us. He is wanting to be active in your life. He's wanting to be intimate with you in your life. He's wanting you to experience his goodness and his mercy. And so it's going to chase after you and pursue you. So when you make a bad decision, it's chasing you. When you make a good decision, it's chasing you. When you're worshiping, it's chasing you. When you're not worshiping, it's not. It's chasing you. When you hit your thumb with a hammer, it's going to chase you. It's always after you the rest of your life. And the Bible says, I will dwell. I will take my abode. I will take my resting place in the house of the Lord forever. And, uh, and that is an exciting opportunity. But here's what I want you to know about that opportunity. That's not simply talking about heaven. That's not talking about after the trumpet sounds, we're going to be in his house and we're going to live there forever. Today, we can live in the house of the Lord forever because the word house there is more than the building of a, of a home. It is the family dynamic. And God wants to have us be a family. That's why we call the church the family of God. God wants us intersected with one another so that we are fitly framed together into a building where the presence of God lives. I dwell in the house of the Lord forever by being a part of the house, by being a part of the family. 
This isn't talking about a building that's separate from a person. This is talking about a family. Family is people. And so you and I tonight together from now until eternity are already dwelling together in the house of the Lord. Praise God. That's the song. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Praise God. May God richly bless you tonight. Would you just bow your heads with me as we close out? Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. I thank you for this time that we've had together to open up your word. I'm asking you, Lord, now to take what we have shared and allow each person that watches this get lost in the arms of the shepherd. Lord, we'll be careful to give you praise and glory. And until the day we see you face face to face, we will dwell in your house, in your family, in your people forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. We're looking forward to a great weekend this weekend. We have a work day here at the church at 9 o'clock. If you could come and help us, we'd love to have you here. It's always a good time to be together, and we'll make our campus look real real nice. And then on Sunday is family day, which means we'll have refreshments at 945 and one service at 1030. We love you all. Have a great, great week, and we'll see you next time.